0: Tonight, as we look at the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'd like to start in reading our gospel tonight from Luke chapter 22, and then starting at verse 24, and then continuing through that chapter. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over to them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials and i confer on you just as my father has conferred on me a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel simon simon listen satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat but i have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail and you When once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. He said to them, when I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, no, not a thing. He said to them, but now the one who has a purse must take it and likewise a bag. And the one who has no sword must sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. And indeed, what is written about me is being fulfilled. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. He replied, it is enough. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss them, but Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him then jesus said to the chief priest the officers of the temple police and the elders who had come for him have you come out with swords and clubs as if i were a bandit when i was with you day after day in the temple you did not lay hands on me but this is your hour and the power of darkness then they seized him and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house but peter was following at a distance When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him and said, This man also was with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else on seeing him said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then about an hour later, still another kept insisting, Surely this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Well, we see in that, in that gospel, of course, that, that Jesus' prayer, of course, is quite simple in the gospel of Luke and quite to the point. And he essentially prays exactly what he has taught his disciples to pray. Lord, let your will be done. Right? If, if it's your will that this cup might pass and let it pass, but ultimately let your will be done. And so we see Jesus living out his very teaching of how to pray, right? This very beginning of prayer, let thy will be done. And in that gospel, we see all the ways in which the forces of this world and the forces of evil work against, try to work against God's will, right? We see Satan who's entered into Judas Iscariot, to betray Jesus, trying to work against God's will. We see the temple priest. We see the authorities in Jerusalem. We see all of them working against what Christ was doing, trying to work against God's will. Right. But ultimately, as we'll see, all of those who tried to work against God's will ultimately end up contributing into the fulfillment of God's will. And so the one thing the gospel ought to teach us, the one thing we should observe through the story of the Passion is that God's will will be done. Right? There's no force, there's nothing working against God's will that is going to prevent it. What God wants to be done will be done. And so as we look at our third petition from the Lord's Prayer this evening, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven, And we pack that apart, or we pick that apart and unpack it. I want to start with the end of that petition on that phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, And we've talked about this a little bit in previous weeks about what is heaven. You know, we talked about our Father who art in heaven. What does Jesus mean when he's talking about heaven? Because often, like the kingdom of God language, Sometimes we think of heaven as very specific geography, right? That heaven is a physical place, right? I remember having this image as a child, right? That if you could get a powerful enough spaceship or a long enough ladder, right, you would be able to reach heaven because heaven is a place somewhere out here. And it's in that place somewhere out there where that's where God is. Right? But that's not really, of course, what we mean when we say heaven. That's not what Christ means when he says heaven. Rather, we want to we wanna understand heaven a little bit differently, not as a geographic place. But heaven itself is a spiritual dimension in which all is aligned with God's will. Right, That's exactly what heaven is. Heaven is that reality in which everything aligns with God's will. Nothing is working against God, right? And so we understand, of course, heaven is the place of all goodness and joy and being in God's presence, right? But that's exactly right. When we're aligned with God's will, then it is heaven, right? That it is all good. It is all joy. It is all peace. It is all beauty. It is all truth because God himself is all of those things, So what God's will is, then, is heaven. And so when we pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right, we're praying that in some ways the reality of the heaven as everything aligned with God's will, that it would somehow intersect with our world. Right, so the first thing we recognize then is that in our world, there is much that's not aligned with God's will, right? And and that should be obvious to us, right? There's suffering in this world. There's pain in this world, right? There's death in this world. There's much that works against God's will. And so as Christians, we don't deny any of that, right? We recognize evil for what it is. We name evil for what it is. Right, and so we see in the world that there are forces and there are things working against God's will. Right, so if we go back to Genesis, the very beginning, right, and we see, we think about Genesis 3, Genesis 2 and 3 in the Garden of Eden, right, we see where things start to, to fall apart. Things start to diverge from God's will. We see the serpent, we see Satan, working against God's will, right? He's, he's putting the seed of doubt about God's word into Adam and Eve, right? And we see Adam and Eve themselves misaligning themselves, diverging themselves from God's will. And so scripture teaches that it's that divergence, right? That no longer being aligned with God's will that leads to pain and suffering in this world. All right, so when we pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right, we're, not, we're, we're not Pollyannish, we're not utopian. We understand right, that things are not right in this world. And so we're asking God to begin to contribute in our efforts, in our, our faith, that things would start to become aligned with his will. So one of the the kind of overarching themes of all of Scripture then is first, you know, what is God's will? How do we know God's will? Uh, because it's it's not just kind of spiritual, mystical, mystery thing, you know, where we can't know God's will. But rather we know God's will because God's will is his word. Right? That's how we know God's will. Psalm forty that we read earlier. Speaks to this really specifically. You know, it says, God's will is in His law, right? God's shown us what He wants. He's shown us what it is to live a good life. He's shown us what it is to live in the divine life. And so God shows us what His will is in through His Word. So the big theme in the Old Testament then becomes. That when we're not aligned to God's word or God's will, right? That there is pain, that there is trouble. So, one of my favorite illustrations of this is in the book of Jonah. Right? If you, read, of course, you know the story of Jonah, you know Jonah swallowed by a great fish, by a whale or whatever that, that animal might be. But how does Jonah get there? Well, Jonah gets to, that, to the belly of the whale by not being aligned to God's will. All right? So if you remember the beginning of the book of Jonah, it starts like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarsus, away from the presence of the Lord. Right, And if you remember the story then, he tries to get on a boat and go to the other side of the world. Um, and God sends a storm that rocks the boat until they throw Jonah off. And then the wind settles down, but Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. But how does Jonah get from you know being a prophet of god to being swallowed by a fish well he's swallowed by a fish because he's turning away from the word of the lord right he's not listening to the word of the lord he's not aligned with god's will right and so this is this is a theme that's going to come up over and over in scripture about being aligned with god's will being aligned with his word That's what keeps us spiritually afloat. If we're not aligned with God's will, we will suffer, right? It eventually leads to pain. Another kind of comical story like Jonah that goes with that theme in Matthew chapter 14. So in Matthew chapter 14, so at verse 22, Jesus is in a boat with the disciples, and he gets out, and he begins walking on the water, right? And they see him, and they're, it's a ghost, and they're terrified. So in verse 27, he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Peter, of course, it's always Peter, in verse 28, Peter answers him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Again, I think that's a funny story, personally, that You know, Peter in his boldness and his brashness says, yeah, I can do this with you, Christ. Let me come out. And when he takes his eyes off of Christ when he's on the water, he begins to sink. And then he cries out for God's help once he begins to sink. But what's Peter's problem here? Well, he's no longer aligned with Christ. He he no longer has that faith, that trust, that Christ is going to take care of him. He no longer trusts Christ's word. When Christ says, come out here, right, he loses his trust in that, and he begins to sink. Right? And, and that's a message throughout Scripture. Right? When we don't put our trust in God's will, when we don't put our trust in his word, we begin to sink. Whether that's like Jonah, whether that's like Peter, right? it's the misalignment. Where our will is what we want, it's not aligned to what, God's, what God wants, right? That's, that's where we perish when we take our eyes off Christ. Okay, and so we recognize that, you know, there are all of these forces that are trying to get us to take our eyes off of God's will, right? We recognize that, that there's a devil who's tempting us to take our eyes off of Christ, Right, we recognize that we have our own sinful wills. Right? We have our own desires that don't always align with what God's desire is, what God wills for us. Right? It is what Scripture often calls the flesh, the sinful flesh. Right? And so we recognize that in this age, our wills are not perfectly aligned to God's will. And so one more piece of scripture here, and not to get you lost, but in Romans chapter 7, Paul speaks to this as well. So in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war within the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, so as Lutherans, we have this very strong understanding that our wills as we're in this flesh are always tempted to be misaligned with God's will, right? We're always tempted every day to sin, right? And so we're simultaneously, we're sinners who are saved by grace, right? But that's a recognition that our wills are still touched by sin. Right? Our wills are still susceptible to temptation. Right? And so when we pray, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? we first and foremost want to make this personal about us. Right? Because as sinners, we have to recognize that we ourselves are full of weaknesses. Right? And we're not going to get through this life of faith without God's intervention, without God's will being done in us. Right. And so when we think that we can, like Peter, walk out in the water on ourselves, or if we think like Jonah, we can go out our own way and just be fine, right? Then we begin to sink. Right. And so this petition, let thy will be done first and foremost, has to be a personal petition on our part. It has to be a recognition that our faith is totally and completely dependent on God. Otherwise, we will sink. And so this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and all of its petitions, but this prayer especially, it's a recognition that we're not in control. Right? We have to acknowledge our limits. Right? And so... We understand that there's this force you know in us of sinfulness, there's the devil trying to tempt us, but there's also the world outside, this force is outside of us that are trying to get us away from God's will. Right? So this idea, this prayer, let thy will be done, we see it in scripture, we see it in church history, and it's often connected with persecution with martyrdom, with those who are harassed for their faith. So here in Luke 22, of course, Christ prays this prayer at the moment of his passion. But if you were to read martyrdom accounts and accounts of Christians who are persecuted for their faith throughout history, right, this is the prayer that often comes back over and over in their stories. Because there's a recognition that there's an evil world out there that's trying to stop the spreading of the faith. And there's only so much that we as individuals can do about that, right? And so we acknowledge our limits, that we can do our best to live faithfully, but there's only so much we can do, right? And so we pray for God's will to be done, knowing that there is only so much we can do i was speaking to someone in the last week or so you know and she was sharing with me about the faith of her children and how they've all lost their faith and they no longer attend church and she just doesn't understand you know she says i've done everything right i've prayed for my children i took them to church when they were little i talked to them about about god all the time now i still pray for them what do i do now Right? And it's at that moment that we really have to lean on this petition. Lord, let thy will be done. Right? Because we have limits. And we acknowledge that we're not in control. We're not in the control of the faith of others. We're not in control of this world. And so we take it to God and we say, God, let your will be done. Right? let you handle this i trust in your goodness i trust that all things will work together according to what you want so let thy will be done and so when we pray that thy will be done we're ultimately praying that we would desire just exactly what god desires right that we would desire greater realities right we may have an idea of what we want the world to look like we may have an idea of what we want our lives to look like but again we have limits and so our desires aren't always good they don't always line up to what god wants for us right and so this petition that will be done is a recognition of saying god help my heart to be like your heart right help my heart to know what you want let it be aligned to you. Right? And I think we all have that experience in our lives where we've prayed for something very specific. We imagined that if we got this prayer answered, that our, life would be so, our lives would be so much better Right? if only God had answered this prayer this way until, in hindsight, we recognize, actually, I'm glad that God didn't answer that prayer the way I wanted him to. Right? I'm glad that God worked it out in another way, according to his will. Right? Because it was better. Right? God knew what I needed well before I knew what I needed. Right? And so, no matter what we pray, and we can pray specifically, ultimately, we want to pray that God's will be done. Right? God knows us better. God knows the world better. God knows what's good for us. And so that petition, is just a handing it over to God, saying, God, I trust you to take my life on. I trust that you will do what's right for me. I trust in your goodness. You know, and, and I think finally, when we pray, thy will be done, we pray for ourselves, right, to be lights in this world that's working against God's will. Right? We're praying that we would be aligned with God's will so that others would know and others would see just exactly what God's will is, what God wants, who God is. Right? And so we're praying, God, align my heart with your heart. And that becomes a witness to the world. Right? As Christians, we can live lives that shows the world, you know, actually a good life looks like this. Actually loving your neighbors is a good thing. Right? Actually being faithful in your marriage, being a generous person, being honest, you know, all of these things that are kind of countercultural to the world. Right, we can say, that's God's will for us. This is what God wants, and this is what the good life looks like. Right? And we can be witnesses to so much darkness in the world when we submit ourselves to God's will and when we ask him to align ourselves to him. And so we pray, thy will be done. And what we're actually praying, in some small, small way, is that our lives on earth would be like a foretaste of heaven. Right? Heaven, again, is that place where everything is aligned to God's will. Nothing's working against God's will. Well, we're praying that our lives will become just a little foretaste of that. Our lives will be a little picture of that. right? God's will be done in us. And as it is in heaven, we pray that it would be in us. Lord, let our lives be just a little bit of heaven, a little bit of all that goodness. right? And in this world, it's never going to be completely aligned to God's will. There's always going to be the struggle against it, but we have faith that God's going to give us that little piece of heaven as we learn to align our wills to his.